The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening. And enjoy the show. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 10 of Horror Hill. I'm your host, Eric Peabody, and tonight we're continuing a story that we began last week. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode yet, I would strongly recommend doing so. Tonight's episode continues that story, which takes place in Pine Bend, North Carolina. To provide a brief refresher of what's happened so far, Our story follows four friends, David, Brandon, Jack, and Eric. These four have slowly been realizing that something unnatural is happening in and around Pine Bend, and the situation has become terrifyingly personal. Tonight's episode provides the next part of that story, which will continue for several more weeks. As we jump back in, I'd like to leave you with one of the taglines for a favorite horror movie of mine, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I feel that it's particularly relevant as these events continue to unfold. That line, of course, is, who will survive and what will be left of them? You're listening to the standard edition of this program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today to get instant access from our friends at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Did I mention they were ad-free? Thank you for your support.
And now, from author Justin Vinbell, I give you It Came from the Pines, Part 2. Later that day, several dozen volunteers from Pine Bend and North Bend combed the woods in search of Alex. Up until Brandon revealed the truth, Alex was a suspect, and the police were now concentrating on searching for her in the towns. Jack led a team of four men in the eastern sector of the woods where Brandon was found. David led a larger group that split up and searched various other areas. Eric was part of a search and rescue squad made up by the fire department, who concentrated their search in the northern sector of the forest. Rachel, Anna, and the children went to stay with Mrs. Schultz, but periodically visited Brandon. The volunteers searched all day, but didn't come up with any leads or signs of the missing wife. David and Jack returned home with deep feelings of defeat. Jack grabbed two beers from the fridge and put one next to David at the kitchen table. He sat across from David, popped the tab open, and took a gulp. David leaned forward, put his elbows on his knees, and rested his face in his hands. Let me get that for you. Jack popped open the can and left it in place on the table. Thanks, David said meekly. Jack nodded, got up, and turned on the TV in the kitchen corner. What's the local news channel? He asked. Uh, Channel 7, I believe. The screen showed a local anchor named Sidney Herrick, who always did the evening news report. The headline read, Murder in the Pines. Pine Bend is the ideal rural and safe community for families and the retired. Residents are accustomed to sleeping soundly with their doors unlocked. This peaceful community has been terrorized to its very core by a murderer. Police hesitate to call him a serial killer as his attacks seem random. He is believed to be a large man, over six feet tall and weighing about 250 pounds. Police are speculating if the murderer is also responsible for assaulting Brandon Schultz and for the disappearance of Alex Schultz, Brandon Schultz's wife. She said it was Harry. Its hand resembled a gorilla more so than a human, David stated, while staring at the gray wall next to the TV. It? asked Jack. That's how Rachel described it. It. She is certain that it wasn't a man. So what? A monkey from the zoo got out and has been terrorizing the good folks of Pine Bend? A real-life King Kong going on a rampage? Jack said with a smirk. I don't know, man, but I have a feeling about going on an evening trek, said David. Shit, right now? Yeah, let's see if we can find evidence of what it was. Let me finish my beer and then I'll grab my rifle, Jack replied with a hint of reluctance. The men grabbed headlamps, strapped hunting knives to their belts, and slung their rifles over their shoulders. Jack had a lever-action 30-30. It was his favorite deer rifle and most prized possession. David brought his 308 hunting rifle with a $600 night vision scope that he bought after the year's financial success. 
He shouldered it and looked through the scope. I have yet to use this. I suppose now is the perfect time to try it. I haven't played Manhunt since I was a kid. This should be fun, said Jack. The two men went out the back door and through the patio. They opened the gate leading to the driveway, and the motion sensor floodlights turned on. Geez, I'm still not used to having lights on this side of the house. Not that I don't appreciate you installing them, said David while shielding his face. Them some bright ones. Probably should also install some in the back now that we've got something running around here. They walked to the edge of the woods and stared into them. The forest had looming darkness that felt foreboding. The chilly wind slapped David's cheek and a chill shook his body. I'm going to grab my hoodie from the garage real quick. David walked away and Jack pulled a pouch of cigars out of the breast pocket of his flannel. He lit one up and took a drag. After a few more puffs, David returned. Can I have one? He pointed briefly at Jack. Of course, it'll boost your nerves. David took a long pull and sighed. Let's go. The crunch of leaves was an unwelcome companion as they weaved around the trees. They were experienced hunters who knew how to walk stealthily over the fallen foliage, but tonight they hoped that they wouldn't meet their quarry. They both knew that what they were attempting was foolhardy and even dangerous. Paternal instincts moved their feet, a sense to protect their families just as the men that came before them had. This drove them onward. Step by step, they trekked further into the dark forest. The woods were loud with birds of the night and other critters. After walking a mile into the pines, they stopped and rested on a fallen tree. Maybe we should wait here, see if anything comes to us, Jack proposed. David pulled out a water bottle from his single sling backpack and took a sip. I was thinking the same thing. The two men sat on opposite sides of the tree with their backs facing toward one another. They sat alone in their thoughts, with the wind gently whispering around them. David thought of his brother and how he wished he was with them. Jack thought about Anna and how horrible he would feel if she was the one missing. Another hour went by without a sign of anything. They began their journey back to the house. Sun'll be up in a few hours, man. We can come back out then. Maybe get a few hours of sleep. What do you say? Asked Jack. David had his head slumped toward the ground in a sign of frustration and defeat. He did not respond to Jack's question. They continued on in silence until a deep howl shattered it. That sounded like it was near the house. David exclaimed. Coyotes never hang out that close. Let's double time. The leaves crunched ever louder beneath their boots as they ran with rifles in hand. When they arrived back, they found it lonely and seemingly untouched. <sighs> Shit, man. I gotta quit smoking. Jack stated in between gasps for air. David walked in front of the floodlight to get it to turn on. 
When it didn't, he waved his free arm in a jumping jack motion. Jack also tried to trigger the sensor. Damn, might have to check the wires. He turned on his headlamp and illuminated the light fixture. It was busted. The glass on the sensor was shattered and hung from exposed wires. Jack's neck hair stood up as he remembered the Peterson's smashed lights. Something was here, Dave, for sure. David stared at the broken light and then looked at Jack. Let's get inside. They walked past the open garage door and up to the front door. David got his key out and unlocked it. He thought to himself, I can't believe I left the garage door open. Idiot. Want me to close the garage door? Asked Jack. No, I'll get it once we get inside. With a flick of the switch, the foyer lit up and highlighted the various nature paintings that were on the walls. Why don't you call the police while I care for the garage? Requested David. Jack nodded and got his phone out. David sat his rifle on the kitchen table and checked the back door. Still locked. He walked around and ensured all the kitchen and foyer windows were secured. Windows were fine. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Once he was convinced that the house was locked down, he opened the door leading into the garage from the kitchen. An odor of the foulest kind assaulted his senses. His eyes immediately watered, and his nose recoiled at the violating scent. It smelled musky and rotten. It reminded David of a deer's gut sack. He covered his nose with his right hand and reached over to turn on the light with his left hand. He jumped in fright at what the light revealed. To his left stood a massive, hulking creature in front of his SUV. It stared at him with hungry eyes as it breathed slowly. David could see its hairy, barrel chest rise and fall, and it seemed calm. Gorilla was the closest comparison his mind would allow him to conclude. It took a wide step towards him and reached out its black hand to grab David's face. He recoiled and let out a yell. The attack was swift, and all David could see was a mass of fur before he was knocked off his feet. Jack was on the phone when he heard the yell. He grabbed his rifle and ran across the house to the garage. 
When he looked through the door, he saw what looked like an animal on top of David. David was yelling, punching with one hand while the other was lodged in between the teeth of the creature. It rained down hammer-fisted punches on David's face and chest with loud thuds. Jack leveled his rifle and pressed the safety off. The creature took notice of Jack's presence and halted its attack. Its jaws were unclenched, and David retracted his hand and brought it to his chest. Jack's finger rested on the trigger, but he could not bring himself to pull it. The beast scowled and showed its yellow teeth. Four canines that were significantly larger than the incisors jutted from its maw. Its breath hit Jack's nostrils, and he gagged. David was still underneath, and his face was swelling and enclosing over one eye. Blood leaked out from his clearly broken nose. Shoot it! David yelled. Shoot it! Shoot it now! Jack's hands felt like iron ingots that his rubber tendons could not control. He willed the gun to be fired, but his body did not act. The beast returned to the attack and rained down more blows upon David. He focused on shielding his face as yells escaped from his lungs. Shoot the bastard! Shoot it! Come on! The words echoed through Jack's mind. After so many blows, David wasn't defending himself anymore. He just lay there on the cold concrete, still pinned by the creature. Seemingly satisfied with the stillness of its victim, the creature stood up and scowled at Jack again. He took a step back, with his rifle still pointing at the beast. It returned its attention back to David and reached down and grabbed his leg. It heaved David onto its back with a strength that Jack couldn't even comprehend. David weighed at least 220 pounds and was solid muscle. This creature made David look small and weak. It turned towards the garage opening, took three long strides, and was out. Jack felt life return to his body again, and he ran out of the garage in pursuit. He could see the hulking shape of the beast with David on its shoulder as it entered the tree line. He shouldered his rifle and aimed low. The bang of the shot deafened his right ear, but he cocked the lever on his gun and fired again quickly. A yowl of pain sounded from the beast, and Jack knew that he had hit it at least once. It shrugged David off, and his body impacted the ground with a thud and crunch of leaves. Jack cocked his rifle again and raised the barrel to the creature. It stood there, grunting like an angry bull. Jack's finger was stuck on the trigger guard as if glued there. What the hell, man? Shoot it! Pull the trigger! Do it! You've got a clear shot! Jack's mind was locked up, like a bolt wedged in between two gears. The beast picked up a fallen branch and heaved it at Jack. His legs felt like they were made of concrete. All he could do was wince as the branch traveled toward him. It impacted his upper left thigh, which was nearer to the beast. 
Jack yelled as crippling pain traveled up his pelvis and stomach. A bastard hit my mother frickin' testicles. I'm gonna kill him and turn him into a rug. Jack fell to one knee while clutching his crotch with his right hand as his left held the rifle. Moments passed and Jack recovered from the low blow. He heard the beast pick David back up and carry him further into the woods. He walked to the edge of the woods and turned on his headlamp. The trail was easy to follow. He must have hit it for sure, because there was both blood and disturbed leaves. You're gonna make a great rug, you son of a... Jack's thought was interrupted by the sound of rapidly crunching leaves. He scanned the area with his light and tensed up as the sound drew closer. With a quick turn of his neck to the left, he revealed a wall of black hair closing in on him like a tidal wave. Jack was helpless as the beast plowed into him. His rifle was flung against a nearby tree. His head spun, and the darkness carried him to sleep. Part 7 Alex The wind was picking up as if a storm was blowing in. Alex listened as it brushed the treetops. It was pitch black, and the moon wasn't out. She was injured, but everything had been foggy since the attack. She was lying on her back in cold mud, surrounded by pine trees. A powerful shiver traveled throughout her body, and she sobbed. Alex was absolutely terrified and felt the hollowness of being alone. She held her arms and rubbed them in an attempt to warm up. Ow! she yelped. It wasn't but an hour after she woke up that the first raindrops fell. Pain rippled down from her left shoulder. It must have been broken or dislocated. She wept silently to herself. She knew that she wouldn't survive lying in the mud. Come on, Alex. Get up. With as much strength as she could muster, she sat upright. Doing so made her dizzy and nauseous. She used her right arm to push herself up on her feet and then stood. Searing pain burned through her right leg and she collapsed. This yell was higher pitched and louder than the yelp she had let out earlier. Tears stung her eyes as she clutched her injured leg. The pain was only comparable to birthing her two children. She had never been injured this badly. Brandon, help me. Please, babe, help. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I've been horrible to you. Please help me. She whimpered as the rain picked up and chilled her even more. Images of the monster played like a slideshow through her head. Its teeth and horrible breath were fresh in her mind. She recalled waking up several times, only for a minute or two, to see it eating something near her. The cry of some animal also rang in her head. It sounded like a dog, but not like any dog she had ever heard before. It sounded distressed, scared, and in pain. Her gut wrenched as she recalled it. 
cold raindrops pelted her. She needed to get under some cover lest she succumb to the elements. Alexis Geraldine Schultz was found dead deep within the pines. Her grim battle for survival ended when the cold rain slew her. That's what she would write if she was the character in one of her novels. She had the grim feeling that she would never pen another book. With great care, she rolled her hips to the left and brought her right leg over the other. Heavy breathing followed her movement, and she braced for pain as she allowed herself to face the ground. Shit! She whimpered loudly. The slightest movement caused agonizing pain to the injured leg. Slowly, and with wincing pain, she crawled on her only good arm towards the nearest tree. Her head throbbed, and her nausea got worse with every foot. Only the night before, she was on her way to have a nice evening with her sister-in-laws, and she had complained the whole time. Now, she would give anything to sip wine and laugh with them, even to be with Brandon again. Why was she never content? Was it because she was unhappy with her marriage? Was it that she regretted settling down? No, Brandon was a patient man, and more than she deserved. She thought of her kids, and how she wanted to continue watching them at their sporting events. She thought of going to the Outer Banks, as she and Brandon had always discussed. That felt like a distant dream, but she wished more than ever to be there right now. The tree's shelter was only a few more feet in front of her, and she pushed herself harder. A loud shriek speared through the rain, and Alex stopped. Instincts took over, and she froze while controlling her chills. Whatever made the noise was close. She prayed that nothing would find her. The disturbance of leaves informed her that something was closing in. She held her breath as she felt the looming presence of the monster standing above her. It nudged her side with its foot and grunted. Even in the pouring rain, Alex could still smell the horrible stench that it gave off and did everything she could to not gag. The beast stopped nudging her as if satisfied that she was asleep. It turned around and walked towards a fallen tree. Alex turned her head ever so slightly to monitor it. She watched as the beast squatted down and crawled under the pine tree into a cluster of broken trees, like a nest or a den. Several minutes passed, and the beast emerged with something in its hand dragging behind it. It grunted, took two wide steps over to a tree, and sat under it with its back resting against the trunk. The object it was carrying was black and furry. Alex knew it must have been an animal. Maybe what she heard earlier. She started to shiver again as the rain picked up even more. The cold mud passed through her skin and surrounded her very soul. She had never been so miserable in her entire life, nor so afraid. How was she going to get out of this? Was she going to be a meal like whatever the beast was eating? She cried silently as she prayed for rescue from this awful place. 
Some time passed, and Alex fell asleep from the exhaustion of fear. In her dreams, she was back with her family in her warm house, watching a movie on Friday night with Brandon and her two children. She walked into the kitchen to get the popcorn and grabbed a bag of Snickers to share during the movie. She was smiling and felt warm and cozy. The feeling vanished when the wooden floor rose to greet her face, and she could feel her feet being removed from under her. An agonizing, sharp pain shot through her legs, and she awoke screaming. The beast was dragging her by her injured leg. This made her feel angry more than scared, and she cursed at her captor and threw sticks and other forest debris at it. The feeble assault had no effect, as it seemed more like an annoyance to the burly creature. Alex grabbed an exposed root and held on with everything she had, but the beast's strength, combined with the agonizing pain, caused her grip to relinquish. She was powerless to do anything about it, wherever it took her. One crack of bone and a sharp twinge of pain ended her waking state, and pleasant dreams welcomed her again. Part 8 David David awoke after impacting the hard ground where the creature had decided to drop him. His head and face throbbed with the worst ache he had ever experienced. David didn't know where he was, but he was certain of a few things. It was raining, it was cold, and he was injured. His face felt numb, his left hand was badly mauled, his right eye was swollen shut, and he was soaking wet. The creature walked off, leaving David alone. He waited a while to ensure the creature was gone, and with careful movements, he stood up and scanned the dark woods around him. He could see and hear nothing but the sounds of rainfall. Clouds covered even the moon. He and Jack had hunted or scouted every inch of the forest within ten square miles. This part of the woods was unfamiliar to him. David's pocket vibrated, and it startled him. He was quickly relieved to find that his phone had just received a text message. The creature hadn't destroyed it, but it was wet, and the screen wouldn't unlock. He wiped it on his sleeve, but that too was drenched. He used the minimal screen light to scan the forest floor to look for something dry. A fallen leaf under a tree would have to do. He used the crispy foliage as a paper towel and wiped away as much water as possible. Hunching over his phone to protect it from the rain, he unlocked it and read the message. It was from Eric and read, Hey man, my shift ends at six. Where are you? David noted the time. It was 3.37 a.m. It had been 1.30 a.m. when they had returned to the house after trekking. That meant he must be fairly deep within the woods. He texted back, Deep woods near home. Was attacked. Please help. Shortly after David sent the text, the phone rang with Eminem's Slim Shady playing loudly. David silenced it quickly and prayed that the creature didn't hear it, 
He swiped answer on the screen and quickly brought it to his ear. Eric, it's not human. I'm injured and I don't know about Jack. I'm still determining where I am. Please send... Slow down, man. Explain it to me as clearly as you can. It's hard to hear you, replied Eric to David's frantic speech. David paused, wiped fresh droplets from the screen, and returned the phone to his ear. No one will believe this, but I need you to believe me. There's a damned Bigfoot out here, and it may come back any time. Eric was in disbelief, as anyone would be in this situation, and it showed in his reply. How badly are you injured, Dave? We can get to you pretty soon if you tell us where you are. Eric, you've got to believe me! David yelled as the creature tackled him to the ground. Eric listened to the sounds of the brutal assault. He could also hear the beastly grunts and growls of the thing that was attacking him. David yelled in a combination of horror and defiance. Dave? Dave! Hang in there, buddy! I'm bringing help! David was lying face down and covering the back of his head with his hands. The creature was punching his upper back and roaring loudly. All David could do was protect his head and try to breathe as the air in his lungs was taken from him. He knew he needed to fight back. Could he, though? This creature had enormous strength and was much larger than he was. He knew that he had to try at least, for he could feel his ribs cracking and breaking. David decided to stop screaming and remain still. After a few seconds, the creature ceased its attack. It stood up, stared at him, and let out a grunt, seemingly satisfied that it had rendered David dead or unconscious. It turned its back and walked away. David did not move until he was certain that the creature was gone. He looked at his phone to see the screen shattered and distorted. Damn it. He then heard his attacker make a strange call. It was a whooping sound. Another whoop sounded as if in reply to the creature. He fell back down and feigned unconsciousness. Is it communicating? With what? The creature returned to him, grabbed his leg, and began to drag him. He placed one arm under his face to protect it from the scrape of the cold, leafy ground as he was pulled across it. His other hand searched for a rock or stick to use as a weapon, but then he remembered. Strapped to his belt on the right side was his hunting knife. He used his free hand to pull it out of its sheath and held it with an ice pick grip. He, however, was in a terrible position to attack the creature. His back popped and shifted with every foot that he was dragged, and it took extreme willpower not to express his pain. Hey, you giant phallus! Turn around and fight me! David yelled out with as much bravado as he could muster. The creature immediately responded and dropped David's leg. He took the opportunity to roll over on his back and arch his knees defensively. It towered over him, poised to attack, and then paused 
as if taking note of the knife. It seemed to consider a strategy. To David's chagrin, the creature bent over and picked up a large branch that was as thick as a baseball bat and as long as the creature was tall. It snarled at David and looked to be working itself into a frenzy. With two powerful arms, it smashed the branch against a nearby tree and broke it in two. The creature held the remaining half like a club and turned back to David. He knew he was about to engage in primal combat with a monster that outmatched him in every way. He also knew that this might be his last few moments on Earth, and he intended to live them well. God, give me strength! He shouted aloud as the monster closed in on him. The monster dealt the first blow. The club came down with a solid thud upon David's right knee. It was immediately painful, but this was no time to anguish. David kicked his left leg, but his foot only met air. Before he could attempt another kick, the monster swung the club horizontally at his face and made contact. David heard the fracture of his cheek, and blood filled his mouth. The strike had nearly knocked him out. It made him angrier than anything else, like the creature had insulted him and shown him disrespect. Adrenaline coursed through David's body, giving him power and the will to fight. The creature pulled the club back for another swing while David barrel-rolled to the side. The club impacted his hip, and all movement was stopped. White-hot pain flowed through David's leg and lower back. Consecutive blows rained down on his arms, which shielded him. Strike after strike bruised and bloodied his forearms. A loud cracking sound was heard when a nasty blow hit his elbow. David yelled in agonizing pain. The mugging stopped when the creature dropped the club and stood still. Only heavy breaths revealed that it was still standing there. David was relieved when the attack stopped. Even though he was in tremendous pain, at least the assault was over. Or so he thought. With a loud roar, the monster picked David up by his battered forearms and tossed him laterally. He landed hard in between two trees. The knife was still in his hand. Somehow, he had still managed to hold a firm grip on it. Before he had time to do anything, he was picked up again and thrown further in the opposite direction. The rain had halted to a drizzle, and the moon could be seen through the treetops. David lay on his side, dazed and aching all over with a chorus of pain. There was no way he could take on a creature like this. This was surely a monster. He remained still as he waited to be grabbed again and was perfectly content letting it finish him off. It would mean an end to his agony. No more throbbing pain. No more unbearable cold. No more fear. If the monster would do him a final courtesy and end his existence. 
As he closed his eyes, he thought of Rachel. She loved going to Reynolds' garden to walk in the evenings. David would often pick her up from work, and they would walk around the botanical garden and talk of future plans, like where they would visit and what financial investments they would make. They discussed starting an online business selling children's books and clothing. He had a good life insurance policy, and Rachel could do anything she wanted with the money. Tim could use some of it to start a business of his own or go to college when he came of age. He thought of Jack and the brotherhood they shared. Even though they were only in-laws, their bond was strong. He thought of Brandon and how they would prank people around the neighborhood when they were kids. One time, David was caught putting a rubber snake into a mailbox. The homeowner caught David on their security camera and had the police come. They seemed annoyed for being called for a prank like that, but gave David a talking to anyway. When David's parents found out, Brandon took full responsibility for the prank. A full week grounded. No TV, no Game Boy, no Pokemon cards with friends. Brandon was always like that. He'd get them into trouble, but he would always be there to bear the consequences alongside him. He was a good brother and needed David to return the favor. Alex was still missing. She could be here as far as he knew, and Brandon was badly injured in the hospital. David was out here with the creature, and he wasn't going to give in just yet. He grasped the cherry-handled knife firmly and listened for the creature. Its steps were nearly silent. It moved with such stealth that David only knew it was near when a stick snapped. His back was facing it, and he gambled that it would pick him up again. With stillness like a crane in the shallows, he remained unmoving. He struck when he felt the creature's oily palms touch his lower leg. Blindly, he swung his right arm around and plunged the knife into the creature's flesh. He couldn't see where he stabbed, but judging by its reaction, it must have been in a good place. It bellowed in pain. He heard it stumble backward and the blade released from its flesh. David mustered adrenaline-fueled strength and stood. He could now see the creature in the moonlight. The emotions on the creature's face bore anger, much like he would show in an appropriate situation. Its eyes stared directly into David's. It was like Goliath stood before him. Instead of a slingshot, he had a knife. The beast advanced a small, limp step, clearly injured. It snarled and huffed like a bear. David tried to raise the knife, but his arm felt like a dead weight. He attempted to step back, but his leg, too, was impossibly heavy. What the hell? I'm paralyzed. The creature was now in arm's reach of David, and it raised one powerful hand above its head. This was it. He stood powerless before the hulking monster and closed his eyes. A whooping call from afar broke the creature's attention 
and it turned its head. David felt strength return to his limbs, and he lunged with the knife tip pointed at the beast's face. By simply extending his arm upward, he drove the blade into its eye socket. It roared in pain even louder than before and held one hand to cover its eye. It used its other arm to flail at David, but he ducked beneath it. Again and again, he fervently jabbed the creature in its face, neck, and torso. It backpedaled, but David pursued. Now it was powerless to fight back. The creature's hide was tough and muscular, and he felt like he was stabbing a tree. However, this did not deter him, as he was hell-bent on killing this creature. He would be satisfied to at least wound it enough for him to get away. After a couple of dozen stabs, he was exhausted and fell back onto a tree. The creature stumbled and moaned as it distanced itself. He thought about chasing after it, but decided he was too injured to risk another hand-to-hand -hand match. Another whoop reminded him that there was another creature out there. With quick strides, he limped away from the grove. Part 9. Jack The bright beam of a flashlight awoke Jack. Someone was kneeling above him, examining his eyes. Get the hell off me, Jack grunted. Be still. I need to make sure you don't have a concussion. Jack felt nauseous and disoriented. He noticed it was still dark and soaking wet. He saw two men standing above him, one he recognized as Eric. This is my lieutenant, Alan. He's here to help, explained Eric. Jack slowly stood up with Eric's help and gave him a nod of appreciation. That big bastard got David. We have to go after him. Some big monkey-looking bastard, said Jack angrily. You're talking about a Bigfoot, right? Asked Eric. I don't know what the hell it is, but I do know that I shot it and we have a blood trail to follow. I don't care if you believe me or not. I know what I saw. Give me your flashlight. Eric handed Jack the light and he scanned the forest floor around them. He saw a splatter of blood on a tree stump and nodded. There it is. Now let me find my gun and my headlamp. Jack recovered his lamp and his rifle. He was pleased to see that even though the lever action was thrown against a tree, it was still in one piece with no visible damage besides a scuff on the forestalk. That furry piece of shit is going to pay for this. I just polished it too. Jack scanned the woods with the headlamp and then turned back around. We're going to need some more firepower and a dry shirt. Wait here. He went into his basement apartment and returned a few minutes later, holding two more guns and sporting a green flannel. He handed the 12-gauge to Alan and a short rifle to Eric. Alan took the shotgun and pointed it at the ground and opened the chamber, inspecting it. Eric looked uncomfortable as he held the weapon. He kept it at arm's length from his body and treated it like an angry cat that wasn't happy about being picked up. You've never shot a gun, have you? Asked Jack. Eric shook his head. Well, you better have the shotgun then. 
Easy to hit something when you're a beginner, Jack said as he switched to the weapons. Now, do you all know the four universal firearm safety rules? I do, answered Alan. And? Jack responded. Never point the gun at anything you don't plan to shoot. Treat every gun like it's loaded. Know your target and what is beyond it. Alan paused to try to remember the last one. He snapped his fingers as he remembered. And keep your finger off the trigger. Jack smirked and nodded. He was impressed, as most folks in Pine Bend owned firearms, but very few seemed to grasp the basics of safety. Do you know what you guys are getting yourselves into? Does he know what we know? Alan answered Jack's question with a slow nod. I don't know for sure what it was, but when I talked to Dave on the phone, I could hear something attacking him, responded Eric. And why the hell did you waste your time with me? Let's go get him, Jack exclaimed. Remember, keep your finger off that trigger and don't point it at us. I'd rather you not have it, but we need as many guns as possible to take this thing down. It's a big bastard. Eric huffed, annoyed at Jack's remark, but he was right. Eric grew up in Atlantic City in Jersey, where hunting was something that piney people did. He spent his youth at the beach with friends and enjoyed getting disco fries on the boardwalk. His only knowledge of firearms came from Call of Duty. He was definitely out of his element here, but David needed his help. This thing have a safety? Eric inquired. Yes, that red button next to the trigger guard. Red means dead. Jack pointed to show him. You'll need these. Jack brought out a handful of green shotgun shells from his breast pocket and handed them to Eric. He showed him how to load and pump the shells to ready the weapon. He also gave each man earbuds to protect them from gunfire. Remember, do not point that at us and keep your finger off the trigger. I got it, man, interrupted Eric. No need to be an asshole. I want to make sure we don't kill each other. We're in for a long morning. The three men entered the woods with Jack leading the way. Eric and Alan held small flashlights and walked single file behind him. They walked a mile, and then another. Jack was one of the best hunters in Pine Bend and had tracked wounded deer many times before. This blood trail, however, came to an abrupt stop next to a creek. Jack kneeled down and looked around the creek, but saw no more blood. Maybe we went the wrong way. Alan suggested. No, this is definitely the way it came. That last spot was only 15 feet away. The blood probably clotted, Eric stated. Yeah, probably. We're going to have to look for tracks. Going to be a pain in the ass with the darkness. It's already hard enough to track with the dense leaves during the daytime. That sounds like it could take too long. Dave could be dead by then. If he isn't already, said Eric. Jack recoiled at Eric's statement. This Yankee from the city was going to have a better idea? You think I don't know that shithead? Eric was angered by that 
and took a step closer to Jack with his chest puffed. I'm the shithead? Me. You're the asshole. You've been a dick ever since we met. What the hell is your problem? Jack stared at Eric with a shocked and angry expression. Do you want to do this now? Because I'm pissed off enough to do it. Jack yelled back with one fist held up like a boxer. Alan inserted himself between the two men with the rifle pointed straight up. Don't test me, man. I don't have any beef with you, Jack said. Calm your ego. This isn't going to help us find David, Alan replied, trying to defuse the situation. Jack leaned his rifle against a tree and took a fighting stance. Get out of my way, fireman. No, Alan said defiantly. Jack tried to push Alan aside, but even though he was a few inches shorter than Jack, he outweighed him by 20 pounds and planted himself in place. The two men grappled while Eric shouted. The brief scrap ended when Eric approached and hooked Jack's jaw, causing him to fall to his knees. Jack felt rocked. His head spun, and all the fight within him went to rest. He held his jaw and began to sob. After a few moments, the hot-tempered redneck stood up with his shoulders lowered and head bowed. Eric and Alan looked at each other, puzzled. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry about my temper. And truth is... Dave is only missing because I couldn't kill that thing. I had my sights fixed on it and I couldn't pull the trigger for some reason. I tried and prayed that I could, but I couldn't. I had a chance to save him and I failed. I failed! Now he's probably dead all because of me! Eric put a hand on Jack's shoulder and he stood tall wiped the tears from his eyes with his flannel sleeve, and began again. He's my best friend. Hell, pretty much my only friend. We have to find him. I'm your friend too, man. Together we will find him, Eric said. The trio gathered their guns and continued their hunt. Part 10. Fight. The ground was soggy and cold, but David was too focused to let it bother him. He was prone behind a fallen tree and watching the creature eat. It was sitting with its right side facing him. The early morning was too dark to see exactly what it was eating, but he reasoned it was a deer. Loud smacks and crunching were the only sounds he could hear. It ate carelessly and tossed the gnawed bones around the tree. David had carved a spear out of a young tree branch. He had the eight-foot-long weapon laid next to him. His plan was to wait until the creature was done eating. Then, he would emit a call and have the creature investigate. When it got close enough, he would attack. Surprise would be his advantage, and the creature would be lethargic after its meal. That's how other mammals were. As he watched it eat, he noticed that it was smaller than its counterpart. 
its frame and overall size were less imposing. He needed to find out where the other one went. He speculated that it was mortally wounded with the number of times he had stabbed it, especially the thrust to its eye. He had waited a while, not far from the grove where he had fought the creature, and had waited to see if something would come near. When the forest remained quiet, he decided to head in the direction of the whooping call that saved his life. He now laid near what he believed made that call. Even with his injuries, he was still an experienced hunter and managed to creep up on the feasting creature carefully. It wasn't too long before it had finished and laid under the branches of the fallen tree to sleep. David grabbed his spear and carefully got into a crouching position. He anchored the blunt end of the shaft into the ground, with the point at a 30-degree angle. He had seen this done in movies, and the idea was that the animal you were hunting would use its weight to impale itself on the spear. He had no idea if it would work. He decided it was time and let out a whoop. The creature immediately sat up and looked around. He did it again, this time a bit louder, and it looked in his direction. Amber eyes, like burning coals, looked back at him. He remembered when he had first looked into similar eyes from his bathroom window. That's it. Come over. Better yet, run at me. He couldn't hold the pose for long. His hip was badly bruised and possibly fractured from the savage fight with the larger beast. With calculated breaths, he readied himself for the attack. The creature lumbered towards him, more curious than cautious. Standing up, it was no taller than he was, maybe the same height. His confidence grew as it got nearer. Firmly gripping the spear, he thrust towards its face. With keen reflexes, it leaned back and growled, showing its blood-stained teeth. He stood up and jabbed at it again, but it swatted the tip away like a cat batting an insect. David reoriented the weapon and advanced carefully. The creature took wide steps in retreat. He yelled loudly, and it responded with more growls. He thrust into its right shoulder, causing it to stagger. The creature now looked more frightened than ferocious. It wore a look of panic. A cry emitted from its mouth, like a plea for help. David felt a hint of compassion for the creature. It seemed to be a juvenile that hadn't learned the ways of nature. Go on! Get out of here! He shouted as he thrust at it. A brutish roar burst through the forest, and he froze. The other creature was on its way. This appeared to encourage the juvenile as it advanced near him. Within moments, he could hear the monster crashing through the forest, pulling aside all in its path. Like a freight train, he saw its moonlit silhouette barreling towards him. He knew that it would be impossible to stop the monster. He dropped to the ground with quick thinking and even quicker reflexes. The charging beast tried to slow down, but ended up stepping over him. 
David closed his eyes and hoped that playing dead would work as it did before. To his horror, it did not. The beast roared and beat its chest. It picked him up by his wrist and clamped down on his forearm with its jaws. David felt the skin give way as the sharp canines hit the bone. David screamed so loudly that the juvenile covered its ears. The creature chomped on his mangled limb. He heard the cracking of the radial bone and felt the warm rush of blood. He thrashed and hit the creature with his other arm, doing everything he could to fight back. It snatched his free arm and raised it to its mouth. He smelled the warm, putrid breath of the monster as it licked his skin. The tongue was rough like sandpaper, and he could feel the skin tearing where his gray hoodie sleeve was rolled up. His knife was still attached to his belt, and he reached down and touched the handle, but could not grasp it. The tendons were weak and sore from the mauling hours ago in his garage. With booted feet, he kicked at the torso of the beast. It disregarded his attack and ripped out a chunk of meat from his forearm. He yelled even louder than before. He was being eaten alive, and he couldn't stop it. It was almost like the beast chose to do it this way, as revenge for his actions. Hey, you son of a bitch! A voice shouted from nearby. David turned his head and saw the light of a headlamp shining brightly like the North Star, a true beacon of hope and a promise that help was here. A loud gunshot echoed in the air and was followed by several more. The monster dropped David and turned to the juvenile. It cried out as if to rally the smaller creature to retreat. Another burst of gunshots rang out, and the juvenile yelped and ran into the thicket. The bigger creature had taken a few hits to its body. Enraged, it roared and charged toward the trio. Shit, here it comes. Unload on the SOB, Jack ordered. Bullets and pellets collided with the creature's torso. Some exited the back and zipped past David's head. The beast kept advancing and the volley kept coming until the mighty freight train had crashed. Before them, lying face down, was a creature that, until today, none of them had believed in. Did we kill it? asked Eric, shotgun shaking in his hands. It's not moving, but I better make sure. Jack pulled a 9mm out of his waistband and emptied four casings into the creature's head. The three men approached David. He was lying in the fetal position, cradling both of his bloody arms and shaking rapidly. Eric and Alan got out a first aid kit and began rendering medical care. These bite wounds are nasty and need to be cleaned right after we staunch the bleeding, said Alan. The two men applied pressure, with each of them holding one arm. Jack stood guard and slowly scanned the headlamp at the surrounding woods. He stopped when a metallic glint reflected back at him. He walked up to it and picked it up. It was a small, circular dog tag on the leafy ground. It read, Snape, 
127 Young Oak Road, North Bend. Shit. Poor boy. You never made it home, did you? He looked around the area and felt sick to his stomach. He felt loathing at the idea of finding a dead dog out here. With a careful movement of his light, he searched around the fallen tree. What is the... Hanging from a long branch were six carcasses. One dog, one cat, two fawns, and two raccoons. They had been roughly skinned and held up their hind legs using small, thin vines. The dog was only a partial carcass, its legs missing and hanging from its bottom. Jack grimaced and yelled to the firemen, You boys are going to want to see this. A rustle of leaves scared Jack, and he swiveled, rifle at the ready. He didn't see anything, but his heart beat heavily. We should get him to a hospital. We've done everything we can for him. This bite could get infected pretty quickly, replied Eric. Jack remained still. Fear had taken a firm hold. The woods were silent aside from a gentle breeze that animated the foliage. With keen ears, he listened for anything. Footsteps, breathing, or just the faint sound of a woodland critter. A low moan reached him, and he perked up. It sounded like a person. Hello? he said aloud. Is anyone out here? He heard the moan again and scanned diligently. Help, please, said a weak, feminine voice. Jack cast the light upon a pale hand with dusty blue nail polish. He got closer and saw a tattered, dark green sweater adorned with white maple leaves. He confirmed it was Alex when he shone the light upon her short, auburn hair. Shit, Alex, are you okay? Guys, Alex is over here. Come quickly. You've been listening to It Came from the Pines, Part 2, by Justin Vinbell. You can find more of this author's work on Amazon, where they have a recently released collection called Darkness, an Omnibus of Horror. Well, listeners, that's all for this week, but I sincerely hope that you'll stick around by joining us next week as we continue the story of Pine Bend, North Carolina. Until that time, it might be a good idea to keep your doors locked and your outside lights on at all times. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page, or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts, and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to me. If you'd like to hear a premium, ad-free edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, 
where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, including past episodes of this program, all of our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. Thanks so much for your time and for giving our sponsors a try today. When you support our sponsors, you help support this show, and that means a lot to me. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. As for me personally, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, username Viking Guitar, and also on Instagram as Viking Guitar Productions. Until next week, listener, when we meet up once again atop the Horror Hill for yet another Dance with Darkness, I bid you good night. Sleep tight, listener, and whatever you do, if you hear scratching at your door, or perhaps a whooping sound outside your window, don't open it. The darkness may have found you, but it's up to you to let it in. You've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's episode was hosted by, and its featured tale performed by, yours truly, Eric Peabody. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Nikki McSorley and Eric Peabody. Finalization by Craig Groshek and S.K. Brown. Got a terrifying tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your work considered for future production. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, please subscribe to us to make sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on social media to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and our other programs. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every week. And don't forget to hit the thumbs up button to let us know how we're doing and leave us a kind comment. Lastly, don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archives and ad-free downloads of all of your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, you can hear more of my work on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights podcast. However, I will be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. 
If darkness is what you're after, listener, your search is over. Yet, let it be known, you haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.